For the past decade, our teams have been working incredibly hard to make some big and much needed changes in how we develop leaders while at work. I challenge you to forge your own path in your own leadership evolution. Consider one that makes the lives of people around you and the business better by building more purpose-driven leaders and relationships with your teams. We need to build leaders who truly care about those they see and engage each and every day. We are so honored today that Amish Shah, CEO of Chemcrest, is joining us today. He has served in this role for 12 years. Chemcrest is headquartered in Elkhart, Indiana. It has 12 locations across North America. And the focus of the company is providing supply chain solutions for industries like automotive, power sports, and defense. And they really do it on a large scale. Um, the company has earned several national and state awards right here in the state of Indiana. And Amish, personally, he's known in our community not only as a business leader, but also a philanthropist. In 2016, he earned Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year Award. He has a lovely wife named Amy, and they have four beautiful young children. So we're going to get right into it, Amish. Okay, so tell me the story about how it all unfolded. So specifically, the what it all was is, um, you know, the the this whole COVID thing happened, and uh, it's pretty cool. Um, I was in San Diego in March of 2020, uh, March 3rd through the 5th or 6th, as we were preparing for what we call the Global Leadership Conference. Uh, 3,500 CEOs come from. 220 countries around the world, and we we meet and gather at one destination every year. Um, this year was in San Diego, and uh, I was on the on the leadership team, so I was a, a regional chair. So it was like 18 of us, and there was also the leadership of YPO, so all the board members. So there might have been a few hundred people there in preparation, um, and we had some meetings beforehand. And the first thing that started going through everybody's mind is. COVID is happening around the world. Africa, Italy was bad at the time, obviously, all throughout Asia. And we're inviting these folks into the United States at a time where there was only one positive COVID case in the state of California. Only one. Imagine that. Gosh. And so millions of dollars have been spent. Amazing speakers have been engaged. I think Michelle Obama. I mean, we had the top of the top of the top of the speaker circuit are there to inspire our, our, our group. And it's a big thing for training and, you know, we all look forward to it. And the leadership had to make a very, you know, tough decision, which was, we need to cancel this because us bringing people in from around the world, um, we could have been, you know, considered like a super spreader before we even knew what that meant. Right. And that was part of the issue is none of us, there, there was like two camps. Like one is like a pull through it. Like, what yeah. the heck are you guys talking yeah. about? Yeah. The other half was like, uh, we've got to really look at safety and and relationship. And so the right decision was made by all accounts to, to cancel the event. And so now we had some time. And during that time, we actually got to talk first about how do we transition our organization, which is a member-led face-to-face learning and experience organization, to virtual. And we spent some days doing that. And the side meetings were how do we start to transition our businesses? Like, this is serious. Like, I'm not set up for this. So it gave us a really big head start when we came back to our businesses, wherever we were and lived, to start thinking about it. So I come back to Elkhart on maybe March 8th, 7th, 
And I gather my group, and it was almost like we were watching the weather storm before the hurricane hits. And I was able to translate some of that to my leadership team to say, we've got an issue. We've, I've been around people globally. I've been around people that have access to information. And this is going to hit our country, and it's going to hit hard. We need to brace ourselves. We need to make great decisions. We need to be aligned. We can't be fearful. Uh, so we gathered, and one of my uh, board members, mentors, and friends runs a very large global company, and they had already established a playbook that was very, very detailed. I mean, down to the social distancing, the visual cues, the wow. how do you set up a break room? How do you set up offices? What do you do with remote work? Uh, how do you report things? I, it was it was wow. so embedded. And we were the first to get that. And we customized it to make it our own. We sent it to the state of Indiana. I emailed it out to every business leader in the region just so they could have access to mm -hmm. it and just kind of start. We, I wanted Elkhart, obviously, to... Right to, you know, be able to have this preparation time. And so one of the issues were uh, you need PPE, you need masks and you need gloves and you need sanitizers. And we had a lot of N95 um, masks on hand because we sell them. It's part of our product line. We sell it to automotive dealerships. So when they're working That's on awesome. paint or right, other, right. you know, shop services. So we had that. Uh, we were able to find some gloves, no problem. We couldn't find sanitizer. I mean, nobody could find sanitizer. Right, that right, was right. like, that was it. Right. And um, one of my... Uh, the general manager that runs my manufacturing center uh, was actually bummed because we had a, a large order. We, we've been kind of reinventing our business model a little bit because the the electric vehicle is soon to be here. By 2030, 2035, it'll be maybe 40, 50% of, could be 100% to some automotive companies of, of what they produce. So we've been getting into some EV companies. We were doing a project with Waymo. We were really excited about it. We were making an electrical circuit cleaner for their, their cameras. So we've got all this alcohol on hand. They canceled their order because of COVID. They're just like, ah, we're going we're gonna to hold for a second. So my GM takes it upon himself. He repurposes the alcohol. He, we, have, we make coach leather cl cleaner. So all the coach purses and so their leather care, we have, so we have bottles, these little eight ounce bottles so we have components, which are hard to find. We have alcohol. And we formulate and, and literally make hand sanitizer for the internal use of our associates. It was not for external oh, consumption. It was I a, didn't know that. Yeah, it was an internal product. And so we're distributing PPE to everybody to make sure that they're going to be safe. And I serve on the um, uh, supplier council for Harley-Davidson. That's kind of where it all started. I... Um, was at a meeting and I, we were talking about PPE. Everybody's kind of aligning. And I said, yeah, we started making hand sanitizer. I didn't asterisk it for internal use. I just said, we started, we converted our production lines over to make <laughs> hand sanitizer. And the, and the amount of text messages and emails I got afterwards, and they were like truckloads. They were, they were huge orders. And so people started calling me and saying, hey, can you make hand sanitizer? Well, then the word got out that we were making sanitizer and we had hospitals, we had yeah. schools, we had other businesses, we had businesses in our area, uh, we had Lippert, I mean, we, you, you name it, Thor, um, call us and say, we, we need sanitizer. Well, to get more alcohol, you need to have a license that comes from the Department of Treasury. And to go back historically, during the same time, the, the Congress and Senate were evaluating the stimulus package. So they're all in session. So to get somebody from the Department of Treasury to take my call and say, yeah, we can do this. Usually it's an eight-month process, just in normal pre-COVID times. Hmm. Luckily, we've got great friends 
and great friends, a uh, U.S. senator who is a great Hoosier and uh, help from, you know, the governor's office and obviously help from the vice president's office who happens to be a, a great Hoosier, um, got this thing fast-tracked in like the matter of days. Really? We get wow. a license to be able to procure and sell alcohol. Well, then we got to find somebody that could sell it to us. We found another Indiana-based company in Southern Indiana who, because we're Hoosiers trying to help with COVID, mm -hmm. They prioritized us. We had another supplier in Wisconsin who kind of we knew through other channels, YPO channels. So now we've got material flowing in to our facilities and we've got orders upon orders, millions of dollars worth of orders for sanitizer. And that's how it all started. Frankly, really? that's that was it. We... Um, Gosh, we, being in San Diego and then all those other... Yeah. But know, it was a journey. It was a very, very, I would say a messy journey. Because you've got to think about this. Chemcrest is an organization, just who we are, right? We, we have, let's call it 100 customers. Every major automotive OEM from Ferrari, Audi, GM, Volkswagen, Harley Davidson, John Deere. So AutoAg and Power Sports, those are our customers. We don't have other customers. We don't have individual businesses that are local. We don't know how to take checks because we do everything through EDI. It's all connected. Right. We need POs placed with lead time. We, you know, so yeah. the infrastructure of our business um, wasn't nimble, nor was it agile. It was the opposite. It was built for big transactions with big companies. And all of a sudden, we went from having, call it 100 customers, to like 6,000 customers without the ability to even, we couldn't take a credit card. We None yeah. of this stuff existed. So... So take me kind of back and, and part of, you know, obviously today we're going to be talking about business agility and Amish uh, Shah is the perfect person to have um, on this podcast to talk about that. Um, we're, we're going to talk about purpose, um, impact, but as you just talked about, it was messy. Very messy. And so um, we're going to kind of hone in on the leadership side of it as well. So from what I understand, a typical um, time is about six months for a product launch at Chemcrest yeah, around for, that time? Yeah, it's three to six months for a, a new a new customer launch can be about three months okay. because there's a lot of complexity. Again, you're, we're dealing with big infrastructure. We're dealing with IT connectivity. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with understand statement of work and requirements. So mm -hmm. our launch package has a cross-functional team of IT, procurement, supply mm -hmm. chain, operations, sales, marketing. Uh, there's a It's a project management-based system. Wow. So it's yeah. not easy because there's a lot of details. Right. And so you went from that model to changing, obviously, the, the in infrastructure <laughs> um, in a matter of weeks. You had to figure that out. So from a leadership perspective, again, looking back on it now, it was, it was an amazing, uh, it's an amazing story. But right away, there were probably challenges, and so I'm assuming, take me through the initial phase of that, bringing your leadership group together. And I'm sure there, everybody wasn't all nodding yes, yes at first. It, it was the quintessential stick in the spokes. But I would tell you what it started with, the first thing that it started with was alignment and motivation. Um, it wasn't just about revenue. And we made that very clear. This wasn't just an opportunist opportunistic opportunity to make money as an organization. We were an essential company. We stayed open during the pandemic. Part of how we inspired everybody to stay open is our campaign of You Are Essential. 
And we took a lot of time um, addressing that to all of our associates. We had video message. I did video messages. Every day there was a, every other day there was a video message that went out by text message that our associates could see. And it started with, you are essential. We had famous celebrities and athletes and actors and, and folks within our network that would start that address. And they would say, Chemcrest, this is, you know, Rick Meyer, sitting out here right now, former Notre Dame guy from Goshen. I'm in California, but you are essential and you're helping with every firefighters and all of these in, in hospital workers. And we had a slew of those people. But we'd also talk about the number one goal or priority was health and safety. We're not doing this. You know, we're not want to put anybody's health at risk. Mm -hmm. We're going to do everything we can. To, we want our organization to be safer than what it is when you leave our organization. And many business leaders were, were really looking at that from the same vantage point. We, we don't want to put anybody at risk. So it started with the whole alignment of cause and purpose. We wanted to keep America safe. It's a big daunting thing to say out loud. You know, right. we're not superheroes, right. but we were trying to augment the superheroes that were out there by providing needed supply chain needs. So when the organization believes in what you're doing, it made the organization, call it not the naysayers, but the people that we hire to protect the structure and the process mm -hmm. and the systems. They do mm -hmm. that for a reason mm -hmm. because they're that's their role. Mm -hmm. They want to make sure that we're not doing something that will harm the organization. Mm -hmm. So when we got the commitment from everybody, we were at least able to sit around a table and figure it out. The problem was the figure it out in our traditional sense was it's going to take – Something as simple like this. It's going to take us 60 days to pop up an e-commerce site because we wanted other people, not just businesses, to mm -hmm. access our material. Mm -hmm. Well, a typical process is 60 days. We have a high school apprentice. He goes to high school. Graham, amazing. He's going to IU next year. Been with us two years. Graham said, that's ridiculous. Graham researches how to pop a Shopify account up. I think he starts it on a Friday. He comes in. It's kind of like that Kramer moment when Kramer <laughs> slides in the door. This kid, he's been on nothing but coffee and Red Bull from Friday. He comes in on Monday morning and he's like, I got it. His hair's all crazy. And he created an e-commerce site. He, he, wow. And, and so now IT had to integrate those pieces. And, and frankly, I think it gave the motivation for IT to not be had by a high mm -hmm. school senior mm -hmm. <laughs> and to make that 60 days down to six days exactly. so we can integrate it the right way. But, you know, the, the, there was a financial system that we had to manage and how do we, how do we receive credit cards or how do we receive mm -hmm. money? Um, we generally give credit. And now there's all these people. We don't have time to do credit checks. So we had to actually receive money prior to shipping. Well, then there's a system of understanding, did they pay us? Are they going to pay us? How how do we do the checks and balances mm -hmm. of if we've received it? Some people didn't have the system to, to give you a check instantaneously, but they had the need right now, so they're mm -hmm. going crazy. So it, it there was hundreds of these components that I'm, I'm like grateful because what it did is it increased our learning velocity. And so where agility starts is really understanding the lack of agility you might have in certain areas. It's like mm -hmm. understanding the gaps mm -hmm. and going through that exercise. You always need, I think you need a project, a burning platform. You need something so you can start getting your hands dirty right. in that messy process, but in it you uncover what those gaps and what that mess is. Then you determine action plans to try and figure out how to get through it as fast as possible. So the other thing about agility is, you know, I, I heard the details about, you know, you guys were ready to go. The first pallet was ready to go with 
um, the new products and um, then, you know, a team member um, tests positive. Then we go to one of your <coughs> yeah. good partners. And, you know, when the what person was telling me all these details, I thought, how do you as a leader in that situation continue to step back and go, okay, because, you know, you're, you want to be forward thinking, yeah. you know, and based on your experiences, you kind of know um, what to do, but no one knew what to do. So how yeah. do you, I mean, how did you work through that with your, with your, you know, your team and the constant change? Yeah. It, you know, so there's always tension is good within an organization, but sometimes there's also, um, you know, two different groups that are trying to protect two different interests. And so when that happens for me, the easiest thing is, is to, you, you, you reflect on your true North and you reflect on your values. So here we have a manufacturing facility in Michigan where honestly, a lot of those folks, even though they were essential, they were a bit uncomfortable. They were, they were afraid. A lot of people are afraid to come to work. We have an associate in our Michigan manufacturing plant that, that got, so it was our first COVID case. And we've got orders, millions of dollars worth of orders and take the monetary value out. We had hundreds or thousands of people that were freaking out because they needed this material. They felt like that was the serum that would at least help keep them safe. Mm -hmm. And the challenge was, here I have demand to help keep certain people safe, but my obligation, A, number one, was the health and safety of my folks, my mm -hmm. people that mm -hmm. I work with. I'm on camera sending notes out and messages out about you are our number one priority. So as we have a COVID case, I'm with the GM, I'm with our sales organization, and we're talking about, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to, let's clear those guys out, clean the facility up, and send a new batch of people in? Because that seems to make sense. It didn't make any sense to me. I said, I get what you're saying, but number one value, let's keep our people safe. Mm -hmm. And safety isn't just about physical safety. It's about mental safety. Yeah. And so as a leader, I can't go in and say, I want to keep you safe unless it conflicts with my desire to make money. Mm -hmm. Because that will be remembered forever. And so it was easy for me to say, we're shutting the plant down for a period of time that's longer than anybody would like to, to give everybody the peace of mind. And we're going to figure out plan B. And in doing so, we had to figure out plan B. We had to figure out plan C. We had to figure out plan D. And oftentimes we ended up with plan E, which we barely had, you know, a straw man on, but that's what got us there. And I, you know, that's the other thing is in... In agility in and of itself, what, what I've often learned is you've got to have your plan A and plan B, but really spend the time thinking about C, D, and E. And, and be is, open to and it. And be open to yeah. it and know when to go down that path. You've got to make a critical decision with very limited time. You've got to know when you're going to pivot and go down that path without taking a whole lot of time. And sometimes you don't get all the calculus that's required to make the decision. So it comes from gut instinct and, again, aligning to your values and aligning to, to the mission of the organization. This episode of Lippert Built to Lead podcast is brought to you by the Lippert Academy for Leadership, the team committed to enhancing your organization's leadership and cultural goals with strategic leadership development programs, on-site training, executive coaching, speaking engagement, and customized solutions. Find out how to get your organization involved at www.lci1.com backslash academy or send us a message at academy at lci1.com. That's academy at lci1.com. 
know, as you were talking, you know, I kind of my blood pressure went up and I'm like, oh, oh, what I've done. Talk to me about fear, anxiety, some of those things going through your mind as a leader, but being able to be strong. But you're also, you, you know, there's a level of vulnerability um, to have as a great leader. But I'm sure, you know, moments throughout every week, every day, you're like, <laughs> is this the right decision? Sure. I, I, I would say with a high degree of confidence. I'm just going to put a quotient on this. I would say with a 99% degree of confidence, there was not one CEO in America or in the world that did not have a ton of fear in March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, and November of 2020. And that fear ranges, it spans uh, from fear of yourself and your family's health, um, fear of your associates, fear of the markets that you play in, fear if they're ever going to rebound, fear of your own organization, fear of going out of business, fear of supply chain and all your suppliers, fear the, the amount of inputs that could create fear. Any one or two of those things in a given day is enough to, you know, take you down. Mm -hmm. And we were bombarded with hundreds of potential failures or inputs that could have significant harm to ourselves or our business. And that was tough because with all of those inputs hitting you, bombarding you at the same time, somehow you had to have a clear conscious and a clear head to be able to make good decisions quickly. With very little sleep. With very I, little I heard sleep. About, um, <laughs> sleep is overrated yeah, when it, like you know, adrenaline some, kicks in. Like uh, some people might have slept in their offices a couple it's, of times on the couch. But hey. when, when you're aligned to mission and purpose, yeah. you know, that's all that you you think we got no sleep. Think about the folks in the hospitals, right? I know. Think it's about nothing compared that, to that. Yeah, this was nothing. Like, and that was kind of our litmus test. It's right. like any day you think you're having a bad day, think about those that are really doing the frontline work right. and sleep isn't even an issue, right? They were, they were grinding from all sides. So we constantly reminded ourselves that. That's great. And I heard a story about one of your associates, um, her mother. It was incredible. Was a nurse? It, it, a nurse? It's, yeah. So actually the first delivery that we ever made was for a hospital system in Michigan and unknown to any and everybody, uh, as this got delivered to this woman, this nurse, she gets this product and calls her mother, who's been in customer service for our organization for years, and says, I didn't know you guys were doing this. And we didn't even know that the two dots connected. And that became another piece of inspiration. So, of course, as an organization, we're going to take that story, we're going to canvas it, right. because it made everybody feel amazing that this whole thing came full circle. And they probably felt a sense of, you know, ownership yeah. and impact. Like I, the things that I do that maybe I didn't feel like, you right. know, six months ago yeah. that I really, that really matter. Now they, I can see how they matter. Right. Purpose is the ultimate yeah. inspiration and motivation mm -hmm. for everybody. And when you can start to connect purpose and that's, I think that was the biggest thing we did take away selling product or anything else is it's, it, it allowed us to really hone in on purpose as an organization. It allowed us to double down on the fact that we believe in our values, we believe in our people, and we believe in the purpose of the organization more than anything. And that cemented itself in 2020. And with that foundation, it's like now as we got into 2021, and you know, we're probably going to talk about how this really <laughs> transitioned to our ability to learn and, and become more agile. 
Yeah. That was it. Like that's we we learned what we can do in spite of how challenging it might be, in spite of the fact that we didn't have the infrastructure, in spite of the fact that everything that could have possibly gone wrong was carried on our shoulders the entire time. We didn't have, you know, that clear mind all the time. We we but we were able to execute. And and you take that, it's almost like running a marathon with like a 100-pound sack, you mm-hmm. know, on your back. Mm-hmm. Well, run your second marathon without it and it's going to be a whole lot easier. Yeah. And I feel like that's where we're at now. That's amazing. So tell me a little bit about that. Obviously you you went through some very difficult times, but it it really transformed and, and spurred you into an um somewhat of a new direction and uh for the company. So kind of tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I, the the new direction is it it was a catalyst really. And so it, Chemcrests, as I mentioned, main main businesses in the automotive supply chain for chemicals, parts, and accessories. That's what we do. That's what we've done. We've been able to grow that business successfully where we manage all, every major OEM. Um, but we started to recognize the markets are changing. Now, we've got runway, but EV and auto, and you see with the, you know what's going on in the government, we're building infrastructure for that. Uh, you hear CEO leaders like Mary Barra say, by 2035, General Motors shall not produce an internal combustion engine. And then you see all of the other automotive leaders double down on that, showing that they're spending 40 to 50 to $60 billion on EV infrastructure, which is great. I drive an electric vehicle, um, but an electric car has like 80% less parts and complexity. And by the way, an electric vehicle does not need oil, mm-hmm. transmission mm-hmm. fluid, lubes, mm-hmm. you know, the, the service intervals change. We get paid with service intervals. So when you take your Tahoe or whatever you drive to the dealership every 6,000 miles, all that stuff that's wet and sticky, all of it comes from us. And so when you take your Tesla in every 60,000 miles and they use, you know, one fiftieth mm-hmm. of the chemicals, mm-hmm. that is a disruptor of mm-hmm. our business. So the point was, is that we have been thinking about innovation. We've been thinking about, you know, kind of rewiring how we can make an impact in the industry in the future. We, as they say, you know, don't, don't go where the puck is, go where the puck is going. Mm-hmm. And where the puck is going is in the EV space. It's in a lot of different areas of the supply chain. Um, so we've already been thinking about it. We created and walled off a growth strategy committee. Uh, we're putting resources and data around kind of the intelligence around that. And We've been poking around and call it a lab, and then COVID hit, and it required us to execute in ways that we never did before. Mm-hmm. And now as we look to the future, we're starting to think of, huh, and we probably wouldn't have thought about this. What happened during COVID, brick and mortar, people relied heavily on e-commerce or delivery services, groceries, food, mm. everything else in between that we've already been accustomed to. Well, the infrastructure that we have in the United States by way of the current supply base that are providing e-commerce fulfillment is strained, to say the least. Uh, We have distribution centers around the country. We have the ability to service a General Motors and a Ford at really at expectations that are so high at 98 or 99 percent on time delivery with hundreds of thousands of SKUs and understanding quality and service Mm -hmm. and price and delivery and So what we recognized was, yes, we can do what we do well for the auto industry, but we can also do what we do well for everybody else. We can take your products, we can Mm -hmm. put them in our facilities, we can turn them and ship them within less than two days to pretty much all of America. And so what we learned too is 
don't think that we have all of the systems and capabilities today because we built a machine to handle 100 customers that are really, really big that are well embedded and integrated. We start looking at other things. We're going to have to start thinking about our IT systems, our mm -hmm. financial systems, our operational systems, our supply chain systems, every uh, customer service systems, everything in between has got to really change to model what the e-commerce fulfillment industry needs are. Wow. So that's what we're doing now is we're really, you know, we just got out of a strategy cycle. We've been spending a, a ton of time, effort, money, focus, investment, um, resources, the interviews we're in. I'm in interviews all day with business leaders that are in this area one way or another, either on the supply side or the demand side or infrastructure players or technology players, and we're learning a lot. So oh. really excited about that. So when you go back as, you know, leadership and, and people who are kind of boots on the ground um, at the various locations yeah. that you have, um, how do you, you know, you've done something the same way and mm -hmm. like you said, in the same um, industry space for quite some time. But then you kind of have like all of a sudden you're turning around. How did you have to help your leadership team who then cascaded that down to the floor mm -hmm. um, and help them understand that, um, that it wasn't something that was this thing over here, that yeah. it was really going to be a part of ChemCrest's future? You may not have known that at that time, but... It's a, it's a good question and it's also dangerous because um, dangerous meaning... When you sometimes we as business leaders get excited about growth, we always do. That's what I'm here. That's my job. Mm -hmm. I feel like my number one job is to grow the company. Well, now let's look at where we're at as a as an economy and as a labor market. If I get out and stand in front of everybody and say we're going to grow this business through this and this and this, the people that I'm looking at are going to say I can't even do my job today because we're twenty percent less staff than we right. need to be. You know, motivation by way of we're going to grow to a billion dollar or a 10 billion. The only real people that care about that are the owners, the CEOs, the C-suite, your banker, investors, and anybody that's getting a big bonus because of it. Everybody else, you can say it however you want. Yeah, but it's going to create opportunities. It's going to do this. It's going to, mm -hmm. you're going to, it, it creates stability for the organization. There's other people, tears down, that might think that's really cool. And they're excited about it. But the reality is that's daunting because that creates fear. It creates the what's in it for me. Mm -hmm. It's, well, what about our core business? I love that. I, I got hired in to do these things. So the answer really is you've got to be extremely intentional around what that message is and why. And I'd say more than anything in the world, I believe firmly in what I call true north. What is it that we do as an organization? Who are we as a business? And how are these other things that we're doing related to True North? So we got out of this session just this last week. It was great. And one of my good friends, and he's a public speaker, he's amazing. He's written several books, but you know, his his part of his thing is around the idea monkey. And you have two things. You have idea monkeys and you have ringleaders. And the idea monkeys, which I am, you know, very guilty of, I got tons of ideas. And I and I have to be careful because we sit in conference rooms with people and I'm I'm like, and we can do this and we can do that. And why don't we start this and why? But I'm one of very few within the organization. We did our Enneagram assessment and we saw yeah. the majority are eights, and there's only two sevens. So the sevens are the enthusiasts. They're the ones that's within my leadership team of like 30 people. Two 
are like the enthusiasts that want to do anything all the time. And the eights are like, oh, we got to get the details right. And do you have it to the 14th decimal point of perfection? (laughs) So what what the learning there is, I got to, sometimes I got to have the right place to be able to express thoughts and ideas in a way that doesn't overwhelm the organization. Mm -hmm. And so through intentionality and through focusing on North Star, it's hard to say, that's become my filter. And so all these ideas that I'd love to do, I actually have to take them off the table now and put them somewhere because if I don't stay super focused on True North, so why does e-commerce fulfillment align to True North? Because we are a fulfillment company. That's what we do. We fulfill for the automotive industry. So just adding the word e-commerce only means we are moving into new industries, but it's functionally almost the same. We're going to add digital transformation and technology, and and the things we add are actually going to make our core business better. There's like 10 other ideas I have that I've actually had to take off the table, which crushes me. And so you write them down. I'm sure like I do. Like when I'm at the gym, I'm like, oh, this is a good idea. I got to send it to somebody. Yeah. Or or you start a separate business, you know, and I've done that before. Yeah. yeah. Just don't cram it in your business that's got a very Mm -hmm. clear, true north. And so, you know, so that's the other opportunity is creation is great and it makes me feel good. I need to place an outlet for that. Yeah. But I also need focus. So if I'm going to set up a new business, I got to set up people to do it, set the vision and get out of their way so I can stay focused and committed to my main job. Yeah. You know, Amicia, I can't even imagine all the things that go through your mind. Um, And did you ever like it? Maybe now, obviously, when things have uh, slowed down, of course. But when you look back at that, you know, 18 months all the change and and COVID and fear. Um, If you could redo something, do something over, you know, one of the larger lessons that you learned looking back on it, what would it be? So that question has been asked to me about my upbringing, right? Like think about your teen years, high school, college, I'm not going to go through all of that, but needless to say, <laughs> one might look at me and that knows me and say, God, what are some things you regret doing? And honestly, it's, that's the learning that you get, right? Making mistakes, doing things that you probably wouldn't have done the second time around. If you didn't do them the first time around, yeah. you would have known not to do them. So in this business, in the business perspective, what we did through ChemShield was we increased our learning velocity. And we did really well last year. This year is challenging because people aren't buying sanitizer and we have some inventory that's left over that we're trying to manage. Um, and so instead of me looking back and saying, oh, I wish, you know, the one thing is, is we got a great uh, strategy consultant, Rebecca, um, and she, you know, her theory or perspective is when you do something new, learn how to scale up fast and know when to scale down. Mm. It's the courage to scale down or to shut down. And and I think we scaled up fast. It was hard, but we were drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit mm-hmm. that the duration of the need would be greater than what it was. And so, but I, I think the first time you do something is really, really hard to be an expert at it. Exactly. I don't know anybody <laughs> that can do that. And so, the, again, the learning velocity that we got as an organization was so dramatic. Like, I don't know that there would ever been a way that we could literally get like a PhD in six weeks or six months that was that not only was it the learning, but it was like embedded into our soul. 
And so I, I wouldn't take anything back. I would actually, I, as I look across the organization, I think we all were grateful for the learning velocity that we were able to receive from, from that whole experience. Wow. So uh, obviously being a CEO and obviously being so busy in our community and doing all the wonderful things you do, I always wonder, you know, CEOs as a person when they go home and you have a lovely wife, Amy, and beautiful young children that, you know, you, you have young children. And at the end of the day, if, you know, dinner table chat, you know, what do you talk about? You know, do you talk about the company or if they ask you, hey, dad, how was your day or what did you do today? I'm sure it was a little different during COVID. Yeah. You know, as such a high level leader, you know, do you just kind of say, kind of take business and, and work or how do you infuse that, you know, at home? So my upbringing was I was raised by an entrepreneur. So my father was a CEO of a company and um, it was Often um, I was in the boardroom or I was on the plant floor and I was, you know, and it, it, business has kind of been embedded. And you know, I started my first company when I was eight and I think my second one when I was 12. And then in high school, I had a business and in college, I had a business. I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying this is kind of what I'm used to. This is right. the purview that I have. Um, my kids up until 2020, 2021, had no idea what I did or why I did it. They didn't know what work was necessarily. They had zero interest. So, you know, just like any family, you sit around the dinner table and you talk about the TV shows that they watch and the games they want to play and the candy that they like the most. And mm -hmm. when do we get to go to the park and, you know, all yeah. of these things. And just a very wholesome, nice kind of family conversation. And, and it's wonderful. And I love my kids. I'm very, very attached to my whole, whole family. And COVID hit and it was like one of the coolest things that I could say that happened is um, my wife is home with the five-year-old twins, which means somebody's got to drive the other two to school. They go to St. Pius. So we've got a 45-minute drive from Bristol every day. First time ever, I drive my kids to school for 45 minutes. And I remember the first like week that I did it, I was still me. I'm on a conference call. I've got calls coming in. Random people call me early in the morning, so I'm taking them. And my, you know, soon to be 12 year old daughter, like got very sideways with this. She's like, look, you're to drive to school, like be present, like put it down. That's awesome. And I'm like, great. In one condition, I do have a Friday director's meeting that I, I can't put it down, but you guys can be part of it. And occasionally I'll have a general motor supplier council meeting, or I'll have a Harley Davidson supplier council meeting that's at that time. But if it's not a scheduled call, I'm all yours. So what was amazing is we get just the basic awesome conversations about the in meaning the car. of life and like yeah. I love those and it's it we've I learned so much about my two kids they've learned a lot about me but the other really cool thing is they got to get into my company meetings and I put it on mute and I explained to my two kids you know 9 and 11 what all of this stuff means and like it's great because they start getting super excited and interested at Chemcrest um, wow. I, they want to come to the office all the time now. They want to, you know, I took the wow. kids the other day. I took my twins to the office. Nobody was in, so I got to ride a forklift with them. I put them on my lap. <laughs> like a forklift for a five-year-old. I awesome. was a superstar. <laughs> but I love the fact that they're really interested and engaged. Like their dream now is to work at Chemcrest. Wow. And they actually wow. are problem solvers. We're, we're, I'll share a story. We're talking about the labor shortage that we all have. Yeah. And my daughter's in the back, and she's like raising her hand. And she's and she just she's studying history. She says, you know... During the war, I forgot who it was, um, during the, the Revolutionary War, uh, Thomas Jefferson or somebody brought all these people from France 
to help the United States because they didn't have manpower that was needed. And she's like, well, have you ever thought about bringing people in from like other areas? And so I hit the pause button. I get back on the phone. I'm like, hey, guys, my daughter is saying you guys are playing the same game over and over. Why don't you try upping it? What do you think about like getting a bus and going like to the west side of South Bend or maybe some? And, and so we explored it. And, you know, I don't know what the outcome was, but I like the way that she's mm-hmm. thinking about the things that we're talking about from a real problem-solving standpoint. Mm-hmm. So it's I think that's cool. Yeah, It's amazing, the critical thinking of, of children today. Well, it's unbiased. We're stuck in our bias, yep. and that becomes the problem, right? The, the, during our strategy retreat, there was this concept of, you know, you, it's hard to see the, the, the label from inside the jar. Mm-hmm. And we're so stuck inside the jar so often. And so sometimes when you get yourself out of that and you get rid of your bias, mm-hmm. you can actually think a little bit clearly about better solutions. So always have a 12-year-old in your strategy session from now on. For sure. Yes. <laughs> and the food will always be better. Yes. Well, thank you, Amish. My goodness. This has been a wonderful conversation. I've learned a lot. And, you know, um, our listeners, our viewers out there, I, I highly encourage you. If you want to get in touch with Amish, again, this is a Lippert Academy of Leadership, just one of many podcasts this season. Uh, feel free to reach out, academy at lci1.com. Also follow us. We'll have this uh, podcast on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. So thank you, thank you. Thank you again. very much for having me. Awesome. Always good to see you. Yes, you too. All right. Thank you so much for joining us and know that together we can use the 40 or 50 hours a week we have to influence and impact others and truly make business a force for good in this world. If you don't mind, do me a favor and leave your comments for us and share this episode with a few people. The world needs this message. Thanks again for joining us. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the view or mission of Lippert Components Incorporated.